it doesn't matter. We just kind of like start talking and <laughs> that's how it starts. <laughs> After so many episodes, I, I, I wondered if you get, um, if you get uh, tired explaining where beer cake came from. Um, yeah, and it seems like, um, I don't know if I tell the story the same way each time if I, or if I change some of the details. I don't know. I, I think the major details, I, I think I've been repeating pretty much the same. But, um, uh, but you know, funnily enough, though, um, I thought I would get more questions about it. You know, mm. I thought more guests would um, would ask about that. But no, either they're not curious or it just doesn't come up or, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, it is curious. I mean, names have names have an origin they where they come from right sure yeah and you know what you just said like sparked an interest like uh, if you told if you told the same story about beer beer cake if you told it over and over like every day for a hundred days um would it change how would it change would it bring up deeper information and and if you were able to tell it, like wrote, like all the same details, all that, wouldn't that kind of put it on autopilot? Like you could just phone it in? Yeah. Um, so those are, that's actually a two-part question, which is mm -hmm. an interesting question in terms of like, um, you know, the stories that we tell about ourselves whether yes. it's like in private conversation or in public or whatever. And that's um, something I'll, I also encountered as I started performing uh, my music in front of an audience. Because in between songs, I would have like a little chit chat or, or tell a story or something. And, um, and some of my songs also have like origin stories <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or an origin story of, of me being a singer songwriter. And, um, and I've encountered how like when I told the same story, uh, in some cases, it got better as, as, as I told them over and over. And in some cases, I kind of got tired of telling. Um, but I think um, it should get better. And then I, when I started noticing that, I think I realized like, oh no, this, this is also part of the performance too, uh, telling those stories and yes. that yes. should get better. And I think though, over time, it should get refined. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure about embellishments, I guess like we could add more details to it. So it becomes more detailed of a story. Um, but I think um, I think in much the same way, comics like comedians sort of refine their jokes over time, and it becomes really tight, and the yeah. punchline yeah. becomes really punchy, and the lead up to it becomes really crystal clear in terms of like how it leads up to that punchline. Mm -hmm. I think in that sort of same way um, is how I should approach you know those little snippets. So. To that end, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Is that your way yeah, of me. asking? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm fascinated because it's like it opens up, uh, you know, elements of language and inner reality. But beer, beer cake. 
um, I've heard a little bit about it. Tell me where beer cake comes from. Okay, so the name beer cake. Um, so it's the first cake I learned how to make. And um, so as I find out, uh, the, the first person in our family who started making beer cake was our grandmother. And uh, she taught it to her daughter, which is my aunt, my father's sister, and um, who's the only relative in the U.S. So it's my father's, you know, our family and his mm -hmm. sister's uh, family. We're in the U.S. All our other relatives are in uh, in Korea. Actually, on my mother's side, we, I, we have two uncles who live in the U.S. The last I heard, uh, we kind of lost oh. touch with them. But anyway, okay. yeah. So you, um, haven't, you haven't connected with them. Okay. Yeah. So here's the that that's a whole uh, bunch of details that I didn't I didn't mention before when I told the story. So, but again, I think that's like that's just that's sort of unnecessary detail that I think it needs to be trimmed <laughs> as I refine the story. Anyway, so it's the first cake I learned how to make. And um, now the thing is the way I remember it and um, is that it's not, it wasn't our grandmother, that it was my aunt who started making the cake and who taught it to the rest of us. Um, and the backstory that I remember is that she went to a restaurant one day, ordered some cake, ate it, loved it so much, and asked for the recipe, brought the recipe home, started making it, and taught the rest of us. Now, when I told this to my sisters and my cousins, my aunt's children, uh, no one remembers that ever happening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, and were there were there unicorns in in the story of yours and no, clouds? No. And... <laughs> so so I concluded that there could be three possibilities. One, okay. I made it up. Mm -hmm. Two, um, I dreamt it. And yeah. three, uh, my aunt told me that story, and only me. Not her children, not anybody else, but only to me, so that no one else knew the truth except me. Now, the third scenario wow. is the least likely. <laughs> yes, yes. It that, is the, that makes sense. Yeah, it's the least likely. Um, it, it could possibly be um, number two because um, I have, when I dream, I have very vivid dreams. And so mm. when I was a child, when I woke up and later remember the dream, I would remember yeah. it as a memory, not a dream, thinking that it actually happened. Uh -huh. And so it's very possible that I dreamt it one day uh, as a child and then later recalled it as a memory. And that's why I remember it that way. Um, number one is also a possibility that, um, that maybe I conflated you know, different stories Mm -hmm. And somehow, you know, sort of conjured that story in my head, you know, with the different pieces of other stories. So who knows? Who knows what actually happened? Now, both my grandmother and my aunt have passed away. So there's, there's no oh. going to the source. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that's where the name comes from. And so, and so it's not only the first uh, cake that I learned how to make, but it's also a cake that our family, once we learned how to make it, we actually, there was a time when we made it a lot, uh, very often. 
mm-hmm. um yeah our whole family liked the cake so we made it often we even to the point where we made it and gave it away to uh family yes. friends as uh you know as gifts like during christmas or something kind of like how people make fruitcake you know during yeah. the holidays and give it away yeah. um only better yeah yeah <laughs> So, so yeah, so when the time came to uh, pick a name for the podcast, I went through like whole different versions of you know, different um, names and stuff. But um, a friend of mine said, well, you should Google all those names and see what comes up because maybe mm-hmm. somebody else has it. Mm-hmm. Or... Um, maybe it's also associated with things that you may not want to be associated with. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it happens. Yeah, it uh, does. It so, does. yeah. So I went through like whole different things. Uh, my very first idea was something like jamming with JJ, but somebody already had that, uh, not oh, a, as a podcast name, but as, you know, they had their own website and YouTube and, you know, a bunch of things. Um, and then there were other sort of um, blander kind of versions of something like that. Um, and then, so one day uh, I thought, oh, I don't know why all of a sudden, like it, something made me think of beer cake. We don't really make it anymore because we haven't made it for years, uh, mm-hmm. but something made me think of it. I don't know why. And so I ran that name by my some of my friends and they all liked it. They said it was memorable. I said, okay, it yeah. has nothing to do with nothing. Uh, but actually the backstory of that is sort of related to the theme of my podcast, which is just stories from our lives, right? Our lives are, you know, yes. whether yeah. it's family history, whether it's, you know, our jobs our careers our you know, our passions, whatever it is, but there's always a story behind things that we do. Mm-hmm. And the people yeah. that we are. And so so it's related, you know, uh, in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's fascinating. Let me ask you, I mean, this is kind of a practicality. Yeah. Is it like um, like um, uh, beer batter bread? Is it the, the alcohol burns off, but the cool taste stays? Is that part of it? I have no idea. I'm sure it, it imparts some flavor to the batter, but yeah, by the time the cake is baked, um, it they like, don't really taste the alcohol, so it must evaporate during the baking process. Um, but yeah, beer is an ingredient in the cake, and that's why it's called beer cake. Mm. Um, Does the quality of beer make a difference? You know, I try different kinds of beers and um, not that I could detect. It could be that maybe my palate is not refined enough to detect the difference, but mm-hmm. I did try different, a uh, couple of different types of beer and it, to me, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, um, I, the, I'm, I don't know where this is coming from, but um, you have a, a different Korean beers, aren't there? Sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) I don't know too much about Korean beers. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> now, mind you, our family is not a drinking family. We don't drink. <laughs> and so <laughs> my father didn't drink. My mother didn't drink. Even I think even um, I don't know about my son, my other aunts and uncles. Um, I'm sure they drink occasionally or something. But our family in, in general uh, is not a drinking family. So so which kind of begs the question as to like why? Um, you know, for yeah. a non-drinking family, why they decided to yes. start making beer cake. I have no idea. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and I was thinking like the first cake you make, because um, I assume it was an easy bake oven, you know, with a little light bulb inside. Um, but, I, you know, the, the first things you make as a kid, it's it, there's a lot of pride and it's fun to give it away. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I sure. When I... Uh, I find something that I, I like to cook and it, and it changes over time, but I like to just, I like to make it and give it away. Um, it was a yeah. time when I made uh, peanut brittle for the, oh, yeah? um, uh, for the condos and I'd give it to the, the people there. It was just a fun gift to be able to give away, but <laughs> pure sugar. <laughs> well, there's peanuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's something. Yeah. Um, but um, what was I going to say? Oh, yes. The other thing is like, you know, how beer comes in six packs, right? You can't buy a single beer unless you go to like a bodega or something you can. But, uh, you know, like if you go to the supermarket or whatever, you have to buy the whole six pack. So I think that was also part of the reason why we made when we made cake, we used to make a whole bunch of them and give them away because what are we going to do with beer laying around? Because none of us drank back then. <laughs> <laughs> but now, uh, so since starting the podcast, I have made beer cake and I have sent it to some of my guests. Um, now, California is difficult because I think it's either going to yeah. cost an arm and a leg to get it to you like overnight, or if I ship it like ground or something, then it will take like a week to get there. And by the time yeah. it gets there, it'll be moldy or something. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not very practical. Thanks. Thanks for the thought. If it's the thought that counts, um, I'll buy you Mercedes for doing that. So. <laughs> I will take it. <laughs> okay. I have very, very rich thoughts. <laughs> And all I gave you was a cake. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It was the thought. Yeah. Now about this, the the story that it's kind of neutral and bland. The stories we tell, I think that's that's very cool. That because um, you know you could put up a nice co combination of words and people can project into it, read into it. Um, this is what you must have meant. You know, artists and songwriters do that all the time. People you know, people reading stuff into it all the time is fun. But um, I love the notion of stories and that we tell stories about our, our lives. Yeah. Love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it, it's also, an, I think, an innate quality. You know, I think we are, you know, I don't know if it's a function of language, Um you know, I mean, animals communicate too, but it's not language necessarily. Right. They communicate. Right. Um, not, and not in, not in yeah. stories, yeah. Yeah, but but I think the you know it, storytelling could be a function of language. I'm not sure. To, you know, function of the development of language. But but I think there is a sort of an innate sense that we have 
um, you know, uh, I, I would imagine even before language was developed that we drew pictures, you know? Yes. Yeah, and, yeah. and telling stories that way. So I think, yeah, I think it's an innate thing uh, that somehow that's how we connect, you yes. know, with each other. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the, the cultural stories is like one venue, but we say that um, people are like um, meaning making machines. We're relational, so yes. we like to, you know, put make connections and and um, our brains hate a, a vacuum. <laughs> so if we if we saw um, and that's what like some of the movie posters do. They try to capture the essence of the movie in an icon, mm-hmm. but um, our our brains, if we see something will start to relate to it and make connections to it and there it's usually wrong mm. we come from our left brain tries to make connections we have limited resources so we go through the file catalog of like what's what's similar and we uh, attach something to it and it's usually it's usually wrong um, I, I would like, I'm going to, I want to dig into that a little bit, but, but before we go further, I should introduce you to everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Raymond Jones, the Raymond Jones, <laughs> meaning, <laughs> well, people who, who follow my music know you yes. through my songs. So yes. you are the Raymond Jones of three songs. Wow. That bear your name. Yay! <laughs> there's little Raymond that, Jones. I knew that one. And there's a celebrating Raymond Jones, which I also call the birthday song or a birthday song. A birthday and song. there's Raymond's song. Uh, wow! Yeah, the Raymond song. I just, I just got chills. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Yeah. So you are that Raymond. <laughs> wow. Oh, I get chills because I, I don't know that I'm, um, I don't know that I'm a muse for anyone, but that that works. Oh no, you totally were actually. Yeah, those three songs may be on your name, but you were you were the muse for a whole bunch of songs. I think maybe seven or eight. Um, wow. It was during a particularly fertile period in terms of songwriting. It was like, um, so it was sometime after. Um, I, you and I connected. It was it 2006 or seven. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. 2000. I think six through eight, maybe or nine. During that time, I wrote a whole bunch of songs. Um, not all of it made it to the, into the album, but a bunch did. And wow. um, yeah. So you know, maybe I should explain a little bit uh, about like our background. So I yeah. met you. The first time I met you was uh, you as, as my life coach, mm-hmm. um, or I think at that time they were they were called success coach, or I think uh, success track. Yeah, something like that. I think yeah. I was in this program, and you know, I think they called you the coaches. They called you success coach. Um, right. But yeah, but essentially you were a life coach. Um, and um, but you by profession, you are a therapist and mm-hmm. counselor. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, but you also do coaching. And- right. I've done training and, and coaching and and that 
that fits the bill, you know, many times. And uh, now I'm kind of rolling over the idea of like um, uh, dating, uh, dating an intimacy coach, because it fits. Um, yeah, I think um, I think uh, one of your specialty areas is also like uh, relationship and sexual coaching. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which is actually very interesting. Um, yeah. 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 It, so. <laughs> it has fascinated me for all these years. I, I uh, haven't sh shaken it. I've just, you know, been interested in like the psychology of, of sex, the, um, um, the stories that we tell each other, the dance of intimacy and, um, you know, the flirtation, the seduction, um, how men and women think differently. Um, how they think about their relationships differently, hardwired, um, even into sex, like what what couples what he, couples are looking for, and why things go flat. You know mm -hmm. why they sexlessness is a huge epidemic these days. Um, what sex? Did you say sexlessness? Yes. Ah. Uh, do you want to explain that a little bit? What that means? Yeah, it could be. Um, uh, it's roughly put, it's like when you, when there hasn't been intimacy or sex for like over two months and, um, couples that go for years without it, um, something, something goes, um, uh, I want to say it's a miss. It just goes off the stories we tell ourselves, just take us away from fixing it. Mm. And, um, the women pay the highest price for sexlessness. Like back in the 70s, uh, 80s, guys turned a lot of attention towards getting their MBA. So they were out late at night and in order to make it in business or, or law, you, you had to just spend gobs of hours. You come home and you're not, you know, not up for it. Um, and you get intimidated because um, you know, as women's liberation was coming on through, mm. women were looking for more. They, they didn't just want the, um, you know, wham slam, thank you, ma'am, kind of thing. They wanted more and guys weren't really prepared for it. I think they were looking for more, but also I think it's important to say they were voicing it. They were actually expressing mm -hmm. their desires. Yes. Yes. So I think, I think women were always looking for more it's just that they didn't necessarily say that they want more right i don't know right. that's what i yeah. no i think that's yeah. i think that's right and i think what um you know when you know there's a lot of women that say you know i could do without this for the rest of my life it's just messy and uncomfortable and i don't and when people say guys think about sex you know more often than women there's there's a little truth to it, but the bigger truth is probably that, um, you know, women get tired of sloppy sex or <laughs> callous guys. Uh, um, so they almost rather not, you know, get hurt like that rather than ask for it or talk about it. And it's a, it's yeah. a huge issue too. When like m the major issue that women talk about, like, with a partner is that they don't think they can ask for what they want, mm -hmm. you know, without hurting his ego. Yeah. So I'd say, I'd say women want um, good sex 
And if they can't get good sex, they, you know, they're kind enough to shut it down. <laughs> kind enough? I don't know if that's the right term. <laughs> or maybe it's just giving up or something. But I, I think <laughs> yeah. I think that it's a bit of a myth that men think about sex more than women. I think yep. women probably think about it as much as men, but in a different way. I think we think of it in a different way. I think men maybe think more about just getting it, doing it, whatever. Yeah. Right. Uh, women, I think we, we, well, in my case, at least, that it's a whole story in my head. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a whole Do tell, do tell. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You want a a glass of wine? I'll give you. (laughs) Okay. Now I'm embarrassed. (laughs) Oh no, I opened my big mouth and now I'm on the spot. Well, I don't know. I mean, because I don't, I don't think I'm so atypical because I I think like if I do it, probably, you know, bunch of other women do it too, you know, is sort of my logic. (laughs) Yes, it works. It works. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it's a myth and no more that guys talk about it all the time. Um, And uh, like show you how, how juvenile we can be like you were talking earlier about your um, about your fertile years and my mind hit the bifurcation of like fertile I could go both ways and, <laughs> and you went product you know professional I thought keep it keep it on the high <laughs> so <laughs> yeah I don't know if that choice of word was intentional or not um, but um, but you know in some ways I think of my songs as my babies you know mm-hmm. like I for them, you know, I, yeah. I created them. So it you came did. out of me. Um, well, in some sense, I, I don't even think that I necessarily created it, but it, it existed. It just came through me, you know, right. like I sort of channel it somehow, you know, that sort of thing. I think a lot of creatives yeah. kind of like um, uh, dis- uh, describe the process in that sense too. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest, like, um, now it's become it's becoming more of a deliberate act only because i'm trying to write uh, in a particular theme uh cuz my second album i'm i'm actually it, you know it i have a theme this is the story i want to tell so i'm trying to figure out uh how to construct the songs to tell that particular story and so there's a lot more deliberateness about it this time around but you know all previous songs it just I don't know it's just like an idea came and I had to write it down or I had to you know and so like I don't know where the inspiration or the idea or the melody or the words come from but it just comes out that way See, yeah. that is that is so cool. It, it dives into um, storytelling and, and, you know, creating food of any kind. But it also goes over to like romance and stuff that mm-hmm. something like comes out of the uh, spiritual realm. And whether you had a lucid dream about the name, um, you know, how, the, how you got the name Beer Cake, 
but um, like in the Christian world, it's like the the idea that the spirit can like give sparks of creativity and imagination and you wake up with it. There's tons of stories where somebody had an idea for, uh, you know, a new crossbow or, you know, um, and they wake up and they just start scribbling notes mm-hmm. and then it goes to all research and development. So there's lots to think that things are coming out of this, out of the spirit into the physical world. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, you know, people sort of uh, dreaming these things. So I was going through some old Facebook posts the other day and I came across, oh no, I know what it is. You know how like Facebook sometimes will uh, bring up an old post like and say, hey, you know, this is what you posted three years ago or whatever, right? Kind of, yeah. and, and, yeah. and suggest that you repost it for some reason. I don't know why that's ever a good thing. But but anyway, <laughs> one, one particular, yeah. Well, I guess it's, it's kind of like uh, celebrating memories, I guess. It's their way of like, you know, remembering, uh, helping you remember your, your past. Um, but there was one, one of those reminders that, and the post was, that um, that I had dreamt that I came up with a song, but in my dream, I was aware that I was dreaming somehow. <clears throat> and I think I think there was two me's. One was the singer on stage singing a new song that I haven't heard that I haven't, you know, uh, uh, written before. And, uh, and there was another part of me that was actually watching this from the audience. And so the one who was watching it, somehow I knew it was a dream. And so I, I in the dream, I kept repeating it over and over and over again, yeah. so that when I woke up, I would remember it. And uh, so I wrote that post and I, and I actually wrote that, um, you know, a portion of that did survive the trip back to awareness, consciousness. Yeah. Um, but I don't know where I wrote it down. Because <laughs> I went through, I went through all my files, you know, I yeah, so like, okay, if I did capture it, whether it was a voice recording or written somewhere, uh, I don't know where it is. It could possibly be on a phone that I lost. in the hardware (laughs) this is before i started backing things up in the cloud so 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 now it's it was infuriating to read that because here it is reminding me of something that you know that i somehow miraculously captured and now i can't find it (laughs) it's like a tease (laughs) There's God sending you a, a a song that will bring world <laughs> harmony, and you forget it, and and some some homeless person opens a a flip phone that he got in the bank. Here's some. This is great, and he goes on to star and fame and fortune. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, if that happens, good for him. <laughs> and the, the thing is, because I don't remember it, I won't I won't recognize it as my song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's how these these things happen i um one guy was talking about um like in in the spirit that um energy equals mass you know and you know constancy 
And so he's saying it, everything moves from energy into this world. You know, somebody has a, an idea for a table and they sketch it out and then it goes to, you know, marketing. Um, so everything man-made, everything in this world, you know, began as an idea. As an idea, in some cases, as a dream. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And that's where, like, um, uh, these people that, that say dreams are just meaningless are, like, that's a story they're telling that's really kind of empty. Because dreams are really powerful. Mm. And yeah. I've had, um, I had a... I had a uh, one of those terrifying dreams, and and it it re repeated and made me feel kind of powerless, you know, because I couldn't I couldn't solve it, and it would show up regularly. And oh wow! As I got older, a little spaced out farther, so I went through my own therapy, and um, in in telling the story of this nightmare to my uh, therapist, um, we sat with it a couple of sessions and then I had the dream again, but, the, but there was uh, one twist to it right at the end. And uh, in this dream, I was, like in this dream, I was being chased through the woods by some this like Frankenstein monster. And then talking about with the, my uh, analyst then, and then I break through the forest to a, a Circle K. Why a Circle K? I don't know. Um, but I get in inside Circle, the Circle K, K, the store. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is a little convenient, like Seven Eleven. It's like yeah, yeah. I don't know why this, but I get inside and there's food and there's you know a couple of people hanging out and I never had the dream again. Hmm. And it was like 15 years ago. Oh wow. So it's uh, dreams are meaningful when we resolve them it's like a piece of the jigsaw puzzle like drops in did it correlate to something that was going on in your life at the time um i'd say i'd say yes yeah yeah um, um yeah i i i think um well some dreams sometimes have nothing to do with what's actually going on in your life um, but sometimes like what you're going through in reality somehow comes through in your dream. Uh, yeah. I know that happens. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you, it was, yeah. um, I, um, I had a, um, bad react, bad relationship with my dad. It started off good. He was a big hero of mine. And then when he, he fell, he, he just kept falling, didn't, Mm. didn't redeem himself so it feels right to say that the um the monster that was chasing me all those years w was my uh connection with my dad that he was big he was strong powerful and um it was you know he in intended harm and so i could not get away from it mm. so when the dream ended i was a young professional young family and I was probably struggling with um, remembrances of the uh, the abuse um, and and you know like putting limits on like my success or creativity like who am I to think that I could be a dad myself or a father yeah. and um, you know professional 
so I was probably having the dream to say, you know, quit, give it up, don't, don't do this. And so when the dream ended, you know, it just felt liberating. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, so uh, earlier you were saying something about um, the stories that we tell ourselves sometimes and the associations we make and yes. the meaning we attach to it. You said yes. sometimes they're wrong. Uh, so what did you mean by that? Well, it, it, as it, as it plays out that um, like, and, and it's kind of what, if I use an example, like sitcoms are kind of based on this kind of stuff with, with what you see, somebody draws a wrong conclusion. Right. And so, so often, you know, when somebody um, says something in real life to us and we fill in the blanks of, uh, this is what you must have meant. Mm -hmm. And uh, how could you say that to me? Rather than um, what I what I think is more of our like spiritual essence is um, has to do with being uh, curious. Mm -hmm. Like if, if if we would stay curious and open and childlike and ask and investigate and say, hey, what you just said scares me. Uh, I'm wondering if you meant this. Um, you know, then, then we, we get to a, a more full or relational solution, which is, comes more out of the right brain, um, like art and music and relationships and stories. Is that right brain? Yes. So the creative part is, the, oh, that's right. Left brain is the more the logical part. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I I don't know that we get away from right and left brain um, stuff. It's actually um, like inner, like there's an inner brain and outer brain, but talk about right and left brain. That's, that, that's what everybody knows, but the yeah. right brain is artistic and storied and um, musical and funny and um, um, curious. So it's um, you want to hear something interesting too. This is, this is fun. Um, the the right brain is wired to my left eye. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you know that we're um, cross wired like that. Yes. 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 Okay. The eyes are so, cross wired. Yeah. Yes. So when I, I discovered like the, the power of this eye gazing is that um, we could do it. I mean, we do it here in the video, but when you do it in person, if you let yourself drift over and just focus more on the person's um, left eye then, then it, you can bring a peace to that relationship because no matter what the left brain is doing stormy wise, if you, if you connect with the left eye, it settles down into like this peaceful waves. Wow, that is fascinating. So like, so in practical terms, what, what are you actually doing? Okay, in practical terms, um, you and I send messages from our left eye to left eye at about a rate of six messages a second. So if, if we held eye contact for just a couple of seconds, there's, there's like 24 messages. So if, if you have a uh, stomach pain and you kind of grimace like that, I start making up stories about why, why you grimaced. But if we, if we keep a soft gaze and we keep gazing into each other's eyes, our brains drop into this kind of synchronicity mm -hmm. like this. 
and there's a, a harmony and we feel peaceful and supportive of each other. But is that, so you do that with both eyes or just your left eye? Well, it, um, you know, in business and things, they, they, they teach you to look in the, right in the middle, keep eye contact with both. Um, so it's not like you close one eye and just. No. Okay. No. Okay. But this is weird too. If you, if you see a profile picture of somebody in a magazine and you fold it in half uh -huh. like that, it, it can almost look like two different people. Yes. Yes. Because the, the, the left eye is more the uh, personal eye. So, you know, most people, uh, you see actresses, the left eye is wider than the right eye because it means, you know, I'm, I'm kind of transparent. It's I'm honest. So what you see is what you get. You'll see a lot of men with a more of a narrow, because it's like my private life is private. You can't get in. I'll, I'll give you anything you want, you know, for the newspaper, but. Oh, interesting. You don't get into this. When yeah. women, when women hold a child, they suckle a child. Think about it. Um, the child, the child's left eye and her left eye is like, um, like 12, 16 inches uh -huh. apart. And they just gaze into each other. And she, without saying it, she just thinks, I love you. And it, it and the child receives the I love you and the brain starts to form around I am I am loved like this the child is able to focus almost like a tube you know like, uh, like clarity like this far everything else is blurry and fuzzy and hazy mm. Um, mm. so when lovers um, gaze into each other's eyes um, they're synchronizing synchronizing their brain waves and things it's it's not easy to do no, and look directly into people's eyes it's it's actually it can, it can be very intimidating <laughs> yes it can <laughs> and and actually like uh in some cases you feel you feel naked <laughs> or exposed or you know yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It's powerful, and men because men have um, more of a caution or suspicion. Um, I it's it's so commonplace when a husband and wife kind of look at each other, and maybe they'll meet in the kitchen, and and they just hold eyes for a few seconds, and the guy will start to say, "What, what, what, what do you, what do you, what did I do wrong? What, what are you looking at? What?" What did I do wrong? Why are you always criticizing me? <laughs> <laughs> but it it also depends on the type of gaze too, right? So, I mean, if you're looking at somebody with like, that's <laughs> different than, you know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> do that again, do that no. again. <laughs> <laughs> it's on video. <laughs> That was that was glamour photo right there. Really? Was, I, I yeah. don't know what I'm doing. I was just, I didn't even look at myself when I was doing that. <laughs> JJ, that was, that, that could have been the cover of Vogue. No, was, no, it, no. It, um, it is. I mean, they say the eyes are the windows to the soul. And, um, mm. and it is powerful that when men meet women, when they, um, when they can hold eyes and you know, calm themselves down and just hold eyes in a relaxed way, uh, their attractiveness just goes, just starts 
dialing up and that's what they say is a confident male um, well in, in the context of a relationship i think yeah it can be powerful it can be romantic it could be um strengthening the relationship but when a stranger looks at you that way and that for that long it's creepy <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's got a creep factor we call it a, a soft gaze so like when you're traveling down the highway you're focused straight ahead and you have a soft peripheral gaze like that so yeah it's not like um uh, it's not like drilling into somebody like you know i you know eyes down that's uh creepy but that but that's universally that's how women flirt they'll they'll make eye contact for like three seconds and then they'll look away and if they look back and he's still looking at them then they're attracted right uh is three seconds like a rule or what is the significance of the three seconds pretty much um th uh, three five seconds at the at the outset in three seconds like like when an idea comes to you if you don't do something with it in the next three seconds it'll pass really mm -hmm. if you if you take action on it you may have the lyrics to the next song um, um a, a person may come to your mind and if you don't uh, decide I'm going to call and wish them happy birthday or something like that, it passes. These ideas come to us um, a lot. Yeah. And we have, and like in, in um, guys dating and stuff like that, um, you make eye contact with a girl and, and, and we tell them uh, you, you've got three seconds to start moving towards her. And his left brain panics, like, what will I say? And we say, and we say, we don't know, but you'll figure it out. Between here and there, you've got like five seconds to figure this out. Say something, say anything, which was the name or of a just, romantic movie. Yeah. So if if a woman sees a anything, guy yeah. making eye contact and then he doesn't do anything, her estimation of him starts to drop, like he's a weak male. And how can I trust myself to um, a weak male? Well, some, to be fair, some women are attracted or or maybe it's compassion, I don't know, or sympathy or something to shy people. <laughs> if it if it activates yeah. the, the maternal quality. Yes. Um, you got to be aware of that because if, if it goes down that road, road if the story you tell yeah is her taking uh lead you know uh, eventually over functioning being over responsible then you've got the the mother-son kind of dynamic and my opinion that is if it's not doomed it's not a good relationship because um, yes and yes, and I wish I had caught on to that that pattern. Well, I have that pattern actually. <laughs> yeah. I wish I had caught on to that earlier. <laughs> but yes, uh, all those relationships, they yeah, uh, yeah, they all end. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, um, being aware of it is you know helps change it. Um, I think I, I like 
growing up early college years, I probably, I probably had the counterpart to it because I didn't have good male training or masculine training, uh, you know, so I probably had those signals of like needing, um, you know, care, nurturance, and uh, those relationships didn't end well for me. Mm. And uh, I could still be friends, but I think, um, you know, I think I gave off those signals, which I painfully had to be aware of and grow through it. Yeah, I think... uh... That, yeah, that that might be the story that a lot of us tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're all in that same boat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the the eye gaze, if you keep a soft look and you gaze and and you're clear and simple inside, like I'm not thinking extra thoughts. All I'm thinking of is like a blessing for you, like want good for you. Then the, as we say that I have. I have the more centered brain or the the stronger brain. And then whatever waves come up, we just settle back down. You think of um, like a, a parent and a child during a national emergency, there's an earthquake and the child looks for the parent's eyes. And if the parent is, um, you know, dramatic, you know, expressing panic like that, it, amplifies the child's panic mm-hmm. it goes back and forth 24 you know messages a few seconds but if the parent looks at the child with the kind of calmness that says you know we'll get through this i'll be here for you the child is secured and that's important because when mothers look at sons how they think about men comes right on through yeah um, yeah. yeah. I think I was having a conversation with someone. Oh, this, I think that maybe this is a private conversation I was having with a friend that how much of um, how, not, not to blame our parents for everything. <laughs> <laughs> but, but do you know, but to be honest, like so much of it does who they are yes. and how they lived yes um passed down to us yes yeah and if it's if it's a new phrase to you know if somebody if somebody's taking a victim role and saying that everything i do is because of them then that has to be challenged yes but, that's true yeah but to tell the truth about um what happened to you how they related to you that that takes courage um people like Esther Perel and Brene, Brene Brown, especially she'll, she'll say telling the truth about your life is who one are, of the most courageous yeah. things you could do. Who are they? I, I'm not familiar. Oh, with. these are marvelous people. Brene Brown is, um, um, she wrote daring greatly and, um, rising something rising again or something like that. And she started by studying shame. And um, uh, she was a shame researcher. She and she's very candid. She's very funny. She opens her her book, and it's something like um, um, her her commenting to her. She was a party girl apparently, got herself in a bunch of uh, trouble and recovered. 
And she opened the book and she said, excruciating. You said excruciating, right? Um, that um, feelings are excruciating. And the therapist is wistful said, no, I didn't say excruciating. I said exhilarating. She said, no, I'm sure you said excruciating because it's this, you know. They're this, the same things. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> no, exhilarating can be excruciating. Yeah. Yep. Um, Energy to it. I remember it was a long time ago. Uh, Kate Blanchett, um, uh, the actress, okay. she was she was on an interview and she was talking. I, I don't remember exactly what she was talking about, but she she just kept saying it's heartbreaking. And even when she was talking about positive things and good things, you know, mm -hmm. she was kind of describing as things in life as heartbreaking. And I understood exactly what she meant. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's. I think anything, uh, anything deep, <laughs> yeah. it's fucking painful. <laughs> <laughs> what do they say? The truth sets you free, but it hurts like a mother before it does. Yeah, sorry. It, it is, it is painful. <laughs> um, and to be able to, to share your story with somebody is is so healing and so liberating but here's here's roughly how it goes like um this blends in with neurology too is that um if a girl comes home from school and tells her mom the story of how they picked on her at school and the mom just says you know toughen up it that shapes her brain yeah it shapes her expectations so she expects to be um shamed you know so add 30 years she's in international banker and when she tells the story of her life um, she's anticipating shame so these people that say forget the past don't look back they're like foolish because my past is always coming into my present so when she tells her story to someone she trusts and someone she cares about then for, when she's not shamed it's disorienting confusing like this isn't the usual response. And so when she gets an unusual, compassionate response, you can imagine it's like, um, for the first time, like freedom. Yeah. Um, before the freedom comes, floodgates. <laughs> yes, yes. Do you, are you comfortable talking about what just came up? Um, no, it's fine. Um, <laughs> so this is not the first time I teared up on my podcast. <laughs> I know. It's uh, no, it, it's apparently a thing that I do. So yeah, just I, <laughs> I appreciate that about you. I honor that, and I'm grateful for your. Um, Stop uh, it. <laughs> More, more than your honesty, it's like it's, it's like I'm on a quest to find authenticity in this world, and and so when I find someone like you, it's like man, I, I you know, I just well. want to honor your authenticity. <laughs> and like, uh, thank you, uh, but yeah, let's let's move on from this. I don't want this to be the focus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Got it. So. Oh. Let yeah. me finish about yeah, yeah. more about eye gazing. Um, uh, the way the male brain is wired is, um, uh, shall we say, it's like kind of 
wired for to be ready for aggression um when little boys and little girls in bassinets um little girls tend to they'll gravitate towards a human face rather than uh, a mobile uh, zebra stripes and for most girls you could look at their eyes in a soft gaze and coo with them and just like play and they'll they'll hold eye contact for a long time um, boys are a bit quite a bit more skittish and they'll um, avert eye contact like a sponge to kind of absorb what they just saw and then they'll come back and and if you if you're compassionate with this boy if you raise him to hold eye contact it it grows his brain his brain circuitry grows so women huh women when they hold eye gaze their brains grow and and partially we see it like that boys have a greater startle reaction when they're in the bassinet or crib or something like that if you loud noise something like that they jump like that they're alert and their eyes focus into this like periscope into the telescope into this narrow focus and that's why like on the golf course um, somebody can hit it and the guy can track track where the golf ball goes um, a second into it women are saying where where to go where to go their vision is is wider more uh, scope or a van uh, vantage point like that and maybe it's because um, you know, if we roll it back like 50,000 years, um, you know, if three or four of us guys are out there uh, hunting uh, boar or, you know, elk or something like that, and we have to be very quiet and we, we don't talk and we hear a snapping, we jump like that. Like, what is that? Um, so the startle reflex is seen from boys from early on. So when adult men meet each other on the sidewalk, there's this unspoken distance of like six feet. So we're crossing on a New York sidewalk and we, we look to acknowledge, you know, I see you there. Um, and then we look away because we're, you know, we're not combatants and, and we pass like that. If you hold eye contact for like three seconds too long, you know, like this, it activates the male aggression. Yes. And, and you get, yeah, you've, yeah. you've seen that? Oh, no, uh, I, I, I probably, but yes, I, I can see that happening. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. a, a man would um, uh, interpret that as aggression. Yeah, it's a, like the alpha dog. And um, you get that kind of New Jersey reaction, like, what? What you want to you want a piece of this? What are you looking at? What are you looking at? <laughs> is, like, is your what? is that your imitation of a yeah. typical man? <laughs> <laughs> more, I was going for more of a New Jersey. Oh, oh, oh. Know, uh, that's yeah. your interpretation of an East Coast man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you are a great improv artist. <laughs> hey, I, I want to pause for a second because there's something in my eye that I need to attend to. So I'm going to pause the recording for a second. Yeah, and I think I'll they call. Right. I think they call it. I think they call it tears. 
no 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 there's something irritating in my eye yeah yeah okay right. shut up okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm gonna pause hold on i'll be back in a minute okay and we're back your um your screen screen holder your, your photo like when you're away yeah um uh, now here's here's how i identify this the story that that i started to tell myself was that it, it looked like um you know like a strong powerful woman like a like an activist in the really? 60s 70s yeah um i actually uh, have gotten um one comment i got was oh i know this so that photo well that photo that you see is um what do you call it? I use this app to kind of like, um, you know, make it look different. So that's not the original, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know how like there's these app these apps that could make it look like a sketch or you know or pixelated or you know yeah. whatever. Um, and um, anyway, the original photo I posted that one time on a dating site. And uh, somebody who hit me up, it, they commented how it looks like I was like scared or something. <laughs> See, that's that's yeah. how it that's how it goes because you, you put up a, a picture, and and we create a story about that. So if he you know had a chance to talk with you or, or you know or meet you or date you or. Um, make out with you. I mean, he's got this story that she is scary, and who knows? Maybe he likes to date uh, someone and and uh, and be part of her transformation, so hmm. that she's not so scary. Now she's soft and cuddly. And oh no, not scary, scared. Oh, scared. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, like I was startled or something. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see that. I saw uh, strength. Um, I think the original photo, uh, the expression actually looks quite different. It, it looks actually a little harsher than, yeah. So that's why I sometimes like manip uh, manipulate the photo uh, so that it um, has a certain like tone, not, mm -hmm. not, not necessarily color, like certain atmosphere about it that, they, that I want to bring out. <clears throat> yeah. yeah yeah i'm i'm looking for the app that i, I could shade it and kind of make me look like uh maybe george clooney <laughs> <laughs> can you can you make me look like george clooney <clears throat> nah. but that's how it goes you know the pc's a scared girl in there um uh, uh, let me i'll jump to the extreme sociopaths look for that and when they see someone who's scared they are drawn you know, like a moth to a flame. It's a, they are drawn to like intimidate and scare um, people. That's, they are constantly scanning for their next uh, victim. Yeah. Other guys look for, if he saw a scared girl, he'd look to a rescue. It's just, it ignites mm -hmm. a story. And um, yes. that story kind of guides and governs our lives. Uh, when I was working with um, uh, sex offenders, 
sex addiction into sex offenders, um, found that uh, adolescents, adolescents who couldn't tell the story of their lives um, were more likely to be um, offenders because they didn't have a narrative that gave their, their um, history meaning and their future some hope. So if say that again, um, kids that kids that have like a quilt work um, history, uh, things are out of order and they don't remember it. They are more likely to be juvenile offenders. Mm. When a kid has a, a a history, you know, you were anticipated. Here's the history of our clan or our family. We stand for these values, and despite the ups and downs. Um, here's where you're going in, in the future. So our, our history gives us meaning in our, you know, in our, what we've been through. And it gives us a destiny as to what we can hope for. Um, um, yeah, so that, I think that, um, so the narrative that they develop internally then is, it's really about identity, isn't it? This is who I mm-hmm. am. This is where I come yeah. from. Yeah. Yeah. So without that foundation, uh, then you, what you're saying is without that foundation being solid, then we act out in right. destructive ways. Right. This was kind of, this was new to me, clever. I just took um, mm-hmm. um, a business training with um, um, an agency that is just phenomenal. I'd recommend it to anybody. And what they helped us gravitate towards was like zero to eight years old. So much of our mindset is, is how to survive because I can't survive without, you know, the big people. So the stories we make up about how to survive span the rest of our lives unless we are become aware of them. So zero, zero to eight, I'm, you know, mom's depressed, I'm going to be a clown, or I'm going to be an artist, I'm going to draw goofy mm. pictures, or I'm going to, I'm going to be self-destructive to get her focus off herself like that. So we develop that, and that becomes like how we survive. Eight to 16 tends to be more of like, the story is more of like, how do I belong? Mm. How do I fit in? And for most kids, like you, you fit in on the outside, you know, because it's always comical to see three, four, five, six goth girls, and they're all they're all goth on the outside, and it's all a rebellion against against conformity. It's like uh, it's like I want to be goth like everybody else. <laughs> you know, it's like don't box me in. You know, don't tell me who I'm all about. But it is interesting. It, it's it's uh, rebelling against um, certain forms of conformity but then conforming into other uh yep. yeah and the and the, and everybody's judged on the outside mm-hmm. you know if you if you're a, a jarhead or an athlete i mean it's all on the outside like we don't we don't want to know who you are on the inside but if you look the same on the outside then we feel safer around you when you when you belong um, you can look different on the outside. Um, you can have a motley crew um, because um, 
Like that was me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, I, I, I would say I describe myself as a misfit. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't fit neatly into any kind of category. So yeah, so I was a bit of a misfit. And so my friends were also sort of misfits. That's see, that's cool. Yeah. That's, that's an artist colony. And um, that just speaks of a ton of imagination on your part. Um, well, you know what though, every once in a while I wanted to, be normal too like <laughs> the, the guy that I liked at the time uh this we're talking about high school like I actually wanted to go to the prom I mean like I didn't I didn't care that we were dating or anything like I wanted like our, my little you know circle of friends like hey why don't yeah. we all go to the prom together yeah. but yeah. none of them went to- <laughs> <laughs> let's go to the prom and wear um and more army boots but um yeah um something you said earlier um so yeah you were saying like how when we don't get that um sort of narrative developed that basically answers a question of who who am i where do i come from what do i stand for that sort of thing that that sort of self-identity um so um but in some cases, I mean, especially in the cases of like abuse or, you know, abusive situation or other dysfunctional situation, um, there can be a clear narrative that develops for the child. So, you know, so is it is it just lack of clarity in the narrative that develops or is it, um, or is it, does it need, uh, is it, uh, it needs to be positive? Well, I kind of, I kind of know um, the answer. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. yeah, sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, There's a question in there somewhere. TJ, <laughs> <laughs> you are great. There's a question in there somewhere. I'm good. I'll go look for it. <laughs> Um, you know what actually uh the first time my first episode at at some point like I was like rambling on and and you know I told my guest like ah there's a question in there somewhere but like she understood you know what I was trying to get at so she answered it and then I thought hey that's kind of funny actually it is something that I I say often in normal conversations uh you know whenever it's a long-form conversation and I think I even said it like during like uh meetings you know at work um, where I have this like long preamble, uh, but doesn't, but don't uh, exactly formulate a specific question mark yeah. question, yeah. but, you know, but, you know, there is a general understanding in terms of like what, what it is, what kind of information I'm trying to get at. And so, you know, the person I'm addressing, you know, understands and, you know, and responds. And, but, you know, because of the long preamble, I kind of like lost the question. So I would say there's a question in there somewhere. Uh, I don't know where I picked that up. I'm, I'm sure I heard it somewhere and then I picked it up and I started saying it. So so the first few episodes that I did, you know, I kind of worked that in, you know, into the nice. conversation. And nice. I'm thinking, hey, maybe this could be my thing. But then after a while, I just kind of like forgot about it. So here it is again. Yes. That's so, so well, nice. Because what was my question? So- <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah. You see, I, I see you as like being one of the most um, creative, uh, spontaneous, um, like improv, intelligent. Oh my God, you intelligence is off the charts. Um, and you're embarrassing me. <laughs> oh, good. I'll keep driving this home there. You're convivial. You know, you really put people at ease. Like I've, I've looked at some of your other broadcasts and it's like, dang, they're having a great time. <laughs> I hope I do too. Oh, yeah. And, well, you know, you and I will have a great time, whatever yeah. we talk about. Yeah. Um, but yes, but that 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 part is actually very intentional that, um, you know, if nothing else, you know, I want this to be a pleasant and enjoyable experience for my guests. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is because you um, you have a, a, a nice blend of like volunteering information of yourself, your own stories and and asking questions that are um deeper and helpful and appropriate and when it gets too personal you let people come back to it um when i was studying um tantric sexuality my instructor uh had invited us to ask questions she said but but it has to make a distinction here um i don't want you to ask questions that are interesting i want you to ask interesting questions and wait I don't want you to ask questions that are interesting. I want you to ask interesting questions. Yes. Okay. Yes. You get it? Yes. What What do you intuit from that? So, right there. yeah. So questions that are interesting, I feel like that's um, kind of getting at like, um, you know, more like questions that sound interesting. Yes. Like, you know, yes. oh, I think this might be a, yes. an interesting question to ask as yes. opposed to interesting question, which kind of uh, emanate from within because it I, comes from a genuine sense of interest. That's it. You got okay. it. It's, it's the kind of the difference between aren't I clever? Right. Didn't I ask an interesting question? Didn't I stump the teacher or show my knowledge of like this? And and the question that is curious that we all learn from. Yeah, you know, I, it's hard to it's hard to stomach you know watching some of the uh, almost all of the news. Um, Eric McStockus, uh, he asked a good question. Jordan Peterson, um, but the question is like you and me are on this interesting quest, and isn't this fascinating? Um, as opposed to these meandering, multi-level questions that say, I'm, I'm such a clever reporter, aren't I? I, I, I caught you. Well, I think, I think it also helps to come to the table with no particular agenda, you know? Um, so like all I'm interested in is what's inside your head and I wanna get it out. <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking and, you know? <laughs> What do you mean? You know. Um, yeah, you, you're curious, and um, uh, and part of part of why I would call it like our essential self or our spiritual self is that um, I I can think of three or four qualities that you'd be hard pressed to shame. You can't shame. You know, like picture a 
like a, I, you can see it in your mind's eye. I can a picture of a like a, a kid, guy or girl, uh, maybe two years old, and they're out walking in the woods, and and they they kind of bend down, and there's little squatty legs, and and they look at a daffodil, or they look at a caterpillar, or something like that. And they're fascinated. How in the world do you shame curiosity? Mm. Can't you can actually reach, well reach for it. Try try to. I mean. I, uh, go for it go for it you know like 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 if you ask the question would uh, you could shame me with a response something like um you don't need to know or don't be nosy or you know you know stuff like that where yeah. like you don't have wow. it kind of alluding to like you know you're not um, you're not in the position to ask questions or you're not, or you have no right to be curious, you know. Wow, JJ, you, you just burst my bubble. That was pretty dark. Oh. <laughs> really? Just, no, no, no. Because it, it reflects like a curmudgeon attitude. But if you're just being curious, um, it's like the, the taint doesn't get on me. It's like I, I was just being curious. Um, um, yeah, but also, you know what, I think depends on, so, you know, depends on the person who is being asked, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, if the question is a little too probing, um, if it's too personal, or, yeah. um, or it's on a topic that makes the, you know, other person uncomfortable in any way or triggers a traumatic you know experience you know past or, or something um then yeah then i could see that happening too yeah yeah so so yes i think uh i think you can shame curiosity or or at least kick it down <laughs> <laughs> at least kick it down kick it down or, or oh, no what was it you said that that's why that's why i responded this way i think you said um curiosity can't be what something i, I didn't <clears throat> think the someone being curious the uh, coming from curiosity um uh, it's kind of shame proof it's kind of uh, if you try oh, to shame it it just rolls off right um yeah i guess no, I'm trying to think of a situation where, I mean, you're talking about like just genuine curiosity as opposed to mm -hmm. um, like I want to pry curiosity. Right. Right. You're talking about a very innocent uh, curiosity. Right. Yeah. Um, well, that's kind of hard to say, though, isn't it? Like, I think you could say that about a child because they're not so tainted with, you know, worldly experiences yet. Right. So, you know, especially a young child where, yeah, the entire, <clears throat> the entire world is curious to them because they're, you know, it's the first time they're encountering everything. Yes. Uh, so they're not making any uh, certain value judgments or, you know, maybe they haven't had any traumatic experiences yet or, you know, to look at it yeah. in any <clears throat> negative way. But I think as an adult, though, um, it's sometimes um, 
difficult to discern if this is really coming from a, an innocent, curious place, or am I trying to get at something? Nice. Right? Nice. Um, for anyone to ask, ask, be honest with themselves about that question, um, it, it, it's like um, that filters it out. Like, am I driving an agenda? Am I trying to get something? Um, do I ask a question so that I look intelligent or, you know, creative or? Right. Am I asking an interesting question or what was the other thing? Uh, at, a question that's interesting or whatever. Yeah. I get I get them twisted around, but you but uh, but you but you can feel the difference, right? Yeah. <clears throat> the, the spot the flashlight is either on the, the the person asking the question, or the spotlight is on the person they're curious about. And, yeah and, and a yeah uh, well i think i think you you are definitely a curious person and and yeah an innocently curious person like um i don't think you have a single um i'm trying to think of the right word uh offensive maybe no that's not quite the right word but anyway you don't have a single offensive bone in your body but that's not quite the right word either uh all right, all right. For lack of a better word, I'll I'll stick with that. <laughs> okay, but, yeah. but let me let me step forward and say um, that that only happened in me in the last um, I, the accelerated journey is the last ten years, but really the last five years, because um, having gone through trauma alcoholic parents, uh, abuse of all kinds. Um, I came out of it, you know, pr protecting myself in every way that I could. Mm. And um, intellectualizing, getting into college and intellectualizing was one way. But uh, shyness was another, um, posturing, not revealing information. And, and I think it was all this, and I, it was kind of a damnable care about what other people thought about me. I had to always be um, attuned to like uh, pleasing people. I call uh, myself a, a reformed nice guy. Um, oh, you're a reformed nice guy. <laughs> yeah. So you're not so nice anymore. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, I, I, am, I am kidding. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, before we stop the cameras, I mean, um, and I, I said, you know, what's in your eyes, tears, and you said, shut up. And I thought, there's, there's a handful of women that can tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and JD, I just trust, I just, tr <laughs> I just trust you, like where this conversation goes, but, um, and, and I don't, I don't say that to everybody either. Although I used to be, I used to be a lot more brash when I was younger. Like I used to be able to get away with saying stuff like that to people and, and they wouldn't take it offensively. Like they would take it as kind of like, as a, uh, you know, as a friendly jab, as opposed yeah. to like a punch, you know? Um, and I was actually quite, uh, there's one particular uh, job, um, the 
head of the uh, our team, our department, um, I was the only one amongst all all the team members who could actually give our boss like jabs, and he took it. Wow! <laughs> yes. And everybody else would look at me and like, how are you able to get away with saying those things? And I'm like, I yes. don't know. <laughs> yes, it is. It is kind of a, a question like uh, some people, should I say some women, um, ha have a way of like conveying enough, you know, real respect on the side and to be able to um, call somebody out, you know, com you know, humorously on the other side. So it, it's like you're, you're known. Uh, and I, by contrast, yeah. think of the person who is always uh, uh, sarcastic. Uh, yeah. Sarcasm was big in the 80s, you know. Think of the person who's always looking on the negative side. It's like, if you don't feel supported by that person, they, they just get annoying. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, sarcasm. Sarcasm can be funny, but if mm -hmm. you're always sarcastic, it can get old really quickly. Yeah. yeah. Um, There's truth at saying that there is like a veiled anger in yeah. sarcasm. Yeah. Well, I, I will say though, uh, while I, I'm touting my ability to jab at people and get away with it, it wasn't always like that. There were times when I did say stuff like that and the other person just took it. You know, there was one time I specifically remember I thought I jokingly said shut up but he what he got really upset and he took really offensively and um and I, I think he didn't talk to me for days or weeks or whatever it was <laughs> yeah Which, uh, so things. I don't always get it right either <laughs> no no but you 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 took a good natured effort um I recognize it and I and so I identify it in the male, right? It was a male. Yes. Women do it too, but men, but I've seen men do this is that, um, cause they don't know themselves or their em emotions. Uh, so rather than explode or blow up, they punish women, men punish women by um, withdrawing back into their cave. And they have all mm -hmm. kinds of reasons for why they do, but essentially, yeah. you know, when you when you hit a woman's jugular vein, you isolate her. You, because it's it's one of the deep fears that women have of being like um, isolated, you know, um, ostracized, being alone in this universe. And when a guy does that to a woman, it's it's punishing and it's intimidation to get a woman back in line. And it's not fair. It's not right. It, it's not always women and you know between women and men though right i think there are plenty of women that also give the silent treatment as well yeah the silent yeah. treatment is like it's it's hurt it's just hurtful but now, um me, yeah go ahead let me say something about offense this back in the early um 80s this this book just was transitional revolutionized my world uh, John Bevere wrote a book called, um, I don't know if I get the title right, but it's called The Bait of Satan. Mm. And it was offense, colon, The Bait of Satan. And he was saying that when it's a slippery slope, it's like when we get offended, then we get to hurt, then we get to resentment, then it gets down to bitterness, then it goes down to hatred. It's a slippery slope. And 
I, I would add to it up on the front end is that when we get offended, um, our egos got, you know, got uh, bumped like that. And, and um, in the, like a Buddhist tradition, we might say, so what are you doing with ego? You know, my friend went to a Buddhist priest and he said, my ex-wife is pushing all my buttons. And he said to him, so what are you doing with buttons? And the idea was like, unplug, just, just, you know, get curious because, because it's true. Um, hurt people hurt people. Yes. Hurt I've people heard going that. To hurt people. So when somebody's striking out or saying something uh, about me more so, if I can gather my wits, I, I think um, something I said, something happened that hurt, that came from that person. Um, so I, I've grown to be one of the, possibly one of the least offended people in this world. But um, because I've worked at it, really worked at not being offended. And um, uh, it kind of went off on a trail there, but... Uh, <laughs> It's fine. That's that's what it's for. Yeah, we could go off on any number of chills. Hey, let me say, let me just touch on something you said. Um, you, you were talking about curiosity, and it's before a child develops like value judgments, right? And um, judging the the notion of judgment is, um, I'll, I'll call it like a bear with the d distinction here but I'll call it like a violent language. Um, I, I don't have a better creative way. When it's a capital J, when it's a declaration and you judge something, you're also judging that future. Like if he's a jerk, you're implying he's never gonna be anything else. What a loser, implying he's not gonna be anything else as if I know the future. So when people judge something as bad or judge something as wrong, what happens is uh, we draw an imaginary line in the sand and we say it's, it's you and them. It's that people on that side of the line are in that category. And we know all about those people because we're all unique on this side of the line. So judgment has the quality of dividing and, and alienating people and in Marshall Rosenberg's material on nonviolent communication um, he judgment when people judge something like that it's the beginning of violent communication and um, I'm not thinking of his name offhand but just a great psychologist and and he said it, I, he came from um, Russia uh, man if I can I'm thinking so fast, I'm not thinking of his name. He said, but people would rather be right. They would just rather be right. They stake their claim on being right like that. And that's not curious, the case closed, I'm right. And when people are right, they hurt other people, they divide. And then it gets to be more embarrassing to admit when you're wrong or that you've changed. So people that have the same opinion for 20 years, better be a, a, a helpful opinion. Otherwise, they're just kind of locking into a, a trance state of I'm right. Yeah. Um, so 
a couple of things came to me as you were talking and if I could remember them. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, I'll try to slow down. I get so, so no, 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 it's okay. Uh, what was it? Something, something. Okay, well, you know what? It'll judgment, come back. <laughs> judgment. The lower, the lowercase J for uh-huh. lack of creativity is discernment. You right. have to judge the, the difference between red and blue. You have to judge the difference between if I, as I leave my office, the door frame and the opening. So you have to make a discernment. Uh, I, I like this. This is helpful. Those are descriptive, but they're not like eternally um, damning and they're, they're uh, curious. So when somebody says something outrageous, um, you know, I'm practicing, I'm getting there, um, you know, to ask like anything from, why in the hell did you say that? And I mean, that's a little sharp, but it's like, wow, where, where did you get that? Mm-hmm. Tell me, talk to me. I'm curious. Like, how did you get to that? Um, and to be curious about where somebody came from. I, I think um, you could, I think you could also make the, at least based on the examples you gave, you could also make the distinction in the, these terms that you're judging, you're making a moral judgment in one case and yes. you're making an yes. empirical judgment in the other case. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I remember what it was I was going to say. Oh, I remembered it. Now I forgot again. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, that's an interesting vocabulary word. And I think of the English crown of empirical, but uh, um, help me out with the vocabulary. One's a moral judgment. like Oh, right. So at least based on the examples that you gave, it seemed like the capital J judgment is you're making moral judgments mm-hmm. on on things like it's bad, it's good, it's you know whatever, right? Um, it, the lower case judgment is you're judging, yeah, discernment. You're judging in more empirically, more factually, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're saying it's blue or it's red as opposed to um you know it's you know um good yeah. or bad um yeah. yeah oh i remember now what what i i was going to say so um also in the examples that you gave in the under the capital judgment was that um you're attributing right so when you're saying this person's a loser or this person's a jerk or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, that you're attributing their behavior onto the character of the person. Like, um, you know, uh, like that person is that behavior yes. as opposed yes. to this is a person yeah. who behaves this way under these circumstances or whatever. Right, that's an empirical way of looking at it. This person happened to behave in this situation, uh, you know, and these things happened, right? So you're yes. just looking at it factually as opposed to making a moral judgment, which is this person, because he did this, he's a jerk. That's right. And that's, that's it, he can't be anything else. Yeah. Right, mind closed. He can't yeah. be anything else implies future. Yes. And, and I, I oppose that, yeah. Yeah. And a, a cool phrase, I'm uh, employing now is like when some somebody is showing up this way 
um, I, I can say, hey, uh, you're showing up like you're drunk. You're showing up like you're inebriated. Um, that's my description of like what I see, the behavior going on like that. Um, the moment I judge somebody morality and I say, I say, you're drunk, mister. You always get debate. No, I'm not. Yeah. You're uncouth. No, I'm not. That's yeah. inappropriate. No, it's not. You just sparked an argument. Yeah. Well, it's it's actually in the case of you're drunk is you're drunk. You are still describing his state. But mm-hmm. if you say you are a drunk, that's your identity. That's yep. the identity that I put you in. Um, and because you're a drunk, you can't be anything else. Right. Yeah. And if I if I put you in that category, then I imply that, oh, yeah, I know all about you. Right, right. Which is why uh, people make assumptions about, you know, I mean, I understand that in our minds, categorizing things, indexing things and associating things is a way of organizing the world yes. so that we can manage it um, yes. or navigate around it. And on so on that level, it is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why also when people don't fit into any categories that I have preconceived, then I don't know what to make of you. And I could okay. hate you, fear you, or discard you, or you know all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but on the other hand, yes, when we when we use that information to the other person's detriment, or denying them of you know fair treatment, or mm-hmm. you know even by me, you know, like you know I could treat you unfairly because this is how I view you. And that's where you know it turns uh, it turns south. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It turns it turns south. It um, it goes dark. It gets limited. Yeah. Let me so let me come back to something that you said because it's I I love talking about you know this uh, subject. But first first of all, it's sad that um, you know the stats have been there for a long time that like like three out of four women suffer some kind of sexual assault, unwanted assault somewhere early in life and on up. And, and that changes your view of uh, yourself, your body. Girls that are abused um, tend to gravitate towards um, um, something I did, something I said, or being, you know, just having, you know, female parts, it like, something about me is culpable and boys and men tend to push the blame to the outside it's something about the environment so it's sad that women have to put up with us you know knuckleheads for so long and the stories don't get unwoven they just keep adding up so at any point that a girl is um you know uh, molested or abused she has to make sense of that story and oh. right what it um. means about her um often uh, girls become women who go to like like on that bell curve they go to one extreme or the other they either um hide their sexuality or they exploit it um, so they they've kind of lost that middle ground of who am i as an adult woman boys have the same that abuse rates aren't 
as high, but they're they're high. Um, uh, yeah, I would say they're both high. Uh, I mean, you could argue like who, where it's, it's higher or not, uh, but I think a um, couple of factors um, that may, you know, change that statistic is one is, um, I'm not sure if boys would necessarily describe certain encounters as abusive or mm. assault. Right. It's something that just happened. Um, and also, even if they thought it was abuse, they may not actually reveal it. Um, right. Yeah. Um, they don't want to but, talk about that. Uh, I was working yeah. with a, a guy, for example, and he was acting, he was, he was doing the same things that like an abuse guy would say. And he said, I've never been assaulted all my life. So as we talk over his history, um, he starts talking about, um, uh, I forget whether it was a Boy Scout leader, youth leader, um, who would regularly, um, you know, force himself on. And I said, well, that's, abuse. And he's like, that's abuse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's it's like, yeah. Uh, he just never called it abuse. He just thought that's the way it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, I think um, so that in that case is clearly abuse because it's an older person, um, you know, abusing a child. Yeah. But there are also many instances where it's children against children, right? Children mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. children. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, that children are curious about sexuality also. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they do they they play they experiment they they roughhouse they yeah, tease yeah. they do all kinds of things yeah. and um some people may consider that well that's just being a kid and you know you kind of go through that that's how you grow up mm -hmm. uh some kids may come out of those experiences as you know having traumatized by those experiences in that case to them it's abuse yeah. So, trauma. Yeah, yeah, trauma. Yeah. Um, yes, trauma. But it's and, you and would... trauma. Trauma being something that I'm experiences experiencing is overwhelming, and I don't. And so we say the Calvary is not on its way. There's no help. There's no hope uh, coming. So when a situation is overwhelming. Yeah, we shut down, we block it out. That's 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 strong, it's traumatic. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And being able to, to talk that over with somebody releases it. Um, gets gets us back on our more natural kind of pathway. So um are you saying that not all traumas are from abuse? Yeah, there's there's well you know there's emotional trauma and uh, physical trauma there's um yeah not not and th and through our lives something can be traumatic um and then we started assigning stories to it like this is um jj this is this is a, a theme that is like breaking my heart these days um um and it it happened to it happened to me, it happened to an, 
a number of guys. Um, whereas um, um, uh, I'm, I'm thinking back to a men's group that I was in, and and there was a big guy, Navajo guy, nice guy, but man, was he he was armed up. He is an armament, and when he was um, like nine years old. <clears throat> And um, they were at, um, I think Huntington, no, not Jim, but they're at one of the beaches here. Mm. And <clears throat> he went in to use the restroom in this uh, gang, um, you know, pulled the car up. The guy came in and he had a, uh, just a little knife, like uh, one, two inch blade. And he put it to this guy's jugular. And he mm. said, we've been watching your family out there we can describe your parents and your sisters. So you either, you know, perform on me or I'll cut your jugular and then we'll go after it. And the, the kid was intimidated. Mm -hmm. So he did. And they threatened, they say, don't tell anyone. So he, this is common. He feels like a coward. Mm -hmm. So he grows up to be this big buff guy who has guns. He's a Navajo. He's a wind walker. He's, you don't mess with him but in confidence he says i feel like a coward mm. and and i carry that that sense inside of me that i'm really a coward um uh, when the abuse was going on in in my family um sleepless nights um uh, food thrown everywhere glass broken police we used to say if the police weren't at our house on Saturday night, it wasn't a normal Saturday night. And I'd go out and uh, my mom would be uh, crumpled on the floor. There'd be blood. And um, my dad would, would be standing you know, over her. And uh, for as little as I was, um, I couldn't stop it. I couldn't stop him from hitting her. She, um, she would wave me off she'd say go back to your room or it'll get worse uh, just go back to your room um but i i always felt like i should have done something so i grew up with the feeling that i was a coward mm. um and that is that is very common for guys and that breaks my heart because you get to be uh, 40 50 years old and you know you don't think you can do the normal things that you're called on to do because you're a coward and the wife is looking to you for help or guidance or strength or something. Mm. And, and it's almost I, one time I was in session and it was like trying to start a car with a dead battery. It was like, and I thought, dude, this is your chance to either say, you know, that you feel like coward, let's work. So you don't but she was crestfallen. She was looking for him for something and he couldn't deliver. So uh, try as hard as we could, we couldn't hold that together. Um, uh, and I think I, I was plagued with a lot of this. So like when I went through my, my marriage, um, I didn't know myself. I carried those beaten down feelings that I was um, a coward, inept and lots of stories about myself that were not helpful um i didn't know how to talk about it so i i think 
amidst the things that went wrong in the marriage, I think my part of it was I didn't know myself, couldn't be honest. And so I, um, uh, she, she wasn't getting heartfelt responses out mm. of me. So after like 24 years of this, and I was in therapy a lot trying to figure out, God, what's wrong with me? What's, um, so as she, I mean, it's a empty marriage for her. And she was, her side of things, she appeared to me a very more of a controlling woman. Uh, yeah. Started nurturing, you know, but then when you try to nurture a guy and he doesn't respond and you get kind of annoyed. So um, I think that between the two of us, the dynamics just became toxic and none of the counselors I was at could figure it out. So she just got fed up. She had enough of me and, um, and split. And that, that breakdown was one of the hugest breakdowns in my life. I was a, um, you know, a failure and, um, uh, and couldn't pull it together. So I, I looked for like, I was making applications to anything to get out of this field. Um, when, um, when and how did you um, come to the realization that, that that was what you were carrying, you know, the feeling of being a coward and also connecting it back to your childhood experience? Um, I, I was one that, uh, that didn't count it as abuse or didn't call it abuse because it was just my family. Uh, for decades, probably two decades, and therapy, it was in a, a deeper therapy that I could identify and the therapist would say, that's, that's not right. Um, and I didn't even have time to tell her all the, you know, all the nightmarish things I'd seen and experienced, how it affected me. But after the divorce, um, um, I went through, um, something like something like um landmark mm-hmm. and i i went through that kind of course kind of training where they provide a container and they are able to confront you with it and that's where the notion of um acting or feeling like a coward started to come up of like oh yeah i'm not um because I perfectionistic is I would do this right, but if you have authenticity, you you get in and you do it to the best you can, and then you learn, you recalibrate. So it's one of those trainings that it started dawning me that how much of a uh, no matter how big, no matter how much I had, no matter what, um, and and that was a uh, hard for me to conceive because I. Um, women at these trainings were like intimidated by me. It's like, what? I'm a nice guy. But you know, size and voice and, you know, shape women were intimidated. And I couldn't, like, they were reacting like I was Frankenstein, but I didn't feel like Frankenstein inside. Hmm. So that was, that was weird. That's what, I guess that's where I, you know, had been on a journey of identity and um, coming to, coming to grips with our own, the um, 
power that I do have, the authenticity. Um, one of the one of the women I uh, dated for a long time, um, she said, "Ray, you, you see the best in everybody," and it, it's true. Yeah. I always want to, and like you, I I listen for the stories. She said, "But you, uh, but you don't see how how great you are." And she said, and that's a form of inauthenticity. You're being inauthentic with how, you know, the greatness in you. And then that stung because I, I really want to be authentic. But when I realized, oh, I'm, I guess I'm not, then I dug into more training. And, and that's when I got a lot more traction. Um, I, I feel like um, what she said is sort of piling on to what you were going through already. <laughs> 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 you know, um, well, I mean, I guess there was a purpose to that. I don't know, but whatever. Well, the purpose, but, I think the purpose was that um, they, they, she was using like descriptively of like, if I'm not, if I'm not real about how good I am at something, um, or or th that I'm good at something that I can love or care or listen, if I'm not upfront with that, then I'm not be. If my insides don't match my outsides, then I'm not being authentic. And that yeah, that was a motivator. Well, I guess I guess then taking that argument that if you're not being authentic with yourself, then uh, then uh, the the kindness and that you're attributing to other people, seeing the good in other people, I guess you could put that into question as well, right? That is that form of sort of um, kind of like. Uh, should I put this? I think I can hear it. Keep going. Um, kind of like um. So if you're uh, if you're putting yourself down, but always sort of seeing other people in a good light, then is that sort of a form of I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Um. Like it, it's coming from, right. You could see that as not coming from a genuine place, but maybe from a place of sort of lacking because, you know, you see other people or you're, uh, you're seeing other people as better than you or, um, or maybe you're seeing, uh, characteristics that you wish you had mm -hmm. so it's coming it's coming from a place of lack as opposed mm -hmm. to place of abundance yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, honestly uh, JJ I, I couldn't um, I couldn't talk about these things years ago without uh, first of all I couldn't talk about them. then I couldn't talk about them without crying because yeah. it just hurt so much. Um, You're making me cry right now. <laughs> <laughs> I thank you. I appreciate that compassion. But 
Uh, yeah, I think it was kind of a mix of like um, uh, need and sometimes being a nice guy, seeing um, um, uh, seeing something that somebody did that was like mean, but attributing like a good quality to it. So not seeing the shadow in them. Yes, yes, yes. That also, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, I, I, I would say yes. And I am actually aware of a particular incident that you had to go through in your life uh, because you couldn't see, you know, yeah, yeah, that yeah. part in someone else, and and so you had you actually had pretty dire consequences. We won't go into details, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Put it in the category of being uh, bullied. That I was um, uh, like I was vulnerable to being bullied and um, didn't didn't see it coming. Um, I just didn't think I didn't think they, you know, they, anybody would do that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Um, so, I felt really bad for you actually when that happened. Um, but I don't know, is it is it completely resolved now? Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, that's and, good. that's good. <laughs> and the life lessons were good and you know, I grew through it. And this concludes part one of this episode. Please return to the podcast episode listing for part two.